Lord, your name is above all other names. Above all the kings of the earth, above all the rulers that we have set up, Father, you are above all things. Lord, and you are worthy of our praise. You're worthy of our worship. Lord, thanks for loving us. Thanks for making us and creating us. Thanks for caring enough to teach us and to correct us in your gentle rebuke, Lord. Father, may we, may we come to know you more. May we see you at work in our lives. And may this week, that's come, whatever's left of it, Lord, may we just see your plan unfolding. Father, would you give us that eternal sight to see things from your perspective. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would open your Bibles to the book of Judges, chapter 2. Judges, chapter 2. Before we get there, I kind of want to just remind us what's going on in the Old Testament here. The Israelites, they have come into the promised land and they had failed to drive out all the inhabitants of the land. And before they ever got to the promised land, if you remember way back in the book of Deuteronomy, the Lord's blessings were tied directly to their obedience. the, The blessings of the Lord were tied to the Israelites' obedience. And I just want to kind of read this to you just for a second. I'm going to read from Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 2. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. There's a list of blessings that follow that. But he says in verse 15 of chapter 28 of Deuteronomy, But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. So we see this principle that's playing out. We, we, we see it given to them ahead of time. The Lord said, if you obey me, if you follow me, you'll be blessed. If you disobey me, if you turn aside from me, you're going to be cursed. You would think it would be clear to them, but it's not. It's not clear to them, but it would be clear to us too. Do you know that it applies to us today? If you will follow and you will obey the Lord, there's blessings that come along with that. If you reject that and you don't follow the Lord and you don't follow the, the things that he says important, the, the things that he says in your life that are important, there's going to be cursing that goes along with that. We're living in a dispensation of grace, but there's still this practical principle that says, listen, if you'll do it my way, if you'll do it God's way, you're going to be blessed by that. If you continue to do it your way, well, you're going to experience exactly what the Israelites are experiencing. And we see this, and we've seen this pattern take place, in the, and I see it in the pattern of Christian lives. Christians find themselves caught up in sin. Lord, forgive me, and they repent, and then finally they're following God, and God does forgive them, and, they, and, the, and they're all right, and then all of a sudden they find themselves back in the same very pattern. They're in this, this sort of cyclical downward spiral pattern, which is the same pattern we see laid out for us in, in the nation Israel. You see, so often Christians say, well, I'm a New Testament Christian. I'm a, new, well, most of the, a lot of the New Testament is based off of the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, a lot of the Old Testament is quoted in the New Testament. We can't just be New Testament Christians. We need to make sure we understand who God is, and we do that by studying the full counsel of God. So when we come to these books like Judges, where, well, a lot of times people just skip over them, I think that we see, God wants us to see how often the Israelites are doing exactly what they're doing, how they're turning away, how they find themselves in captivity, how they repent, how the Lord raises up a judge or a deliverer for them, and then they start the cycle all over again, just like us. Why do we have to see it over and over and over and over again? Because that's what we live. 
He's trying to get it through. He's using them as an example to speak to us. Joshua, before they went into the promised land, encouraged them. Joshua chapter 22, just listen. Verse 5, Joshua told them, he said, Take careful heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. To love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to keep His commandments, to hold fast to Him, to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul. He told them, this is what, be careful, guys. Don't let these, stick with what the Lord said. Don't get off on us, on us. don't get sidetracked. It's important. And then we see Israel's failure. They come into the promised land. They neglect to drive out the inhabitants of the land like they were supposed to. And we're going to see tonight that the Lord is actually going to leave the inhabitants there for a purpose. They come to a point where they had an opportunity to drive them out. Now the Lord says, now they're not going to be driven out. Now I'm going to use them to test you or to prove you. You had a chance to drive them out, but now we've come to a spot where they're not going to be driven out. They're going to stay there. So let's pick up in uh, Judges chapter 2. We'll be in verse 11. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Baals. They did evil in the sight of the Lord and they served Baals. They forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and they followed other gods. From among the gods of the people who were all around them, they bowed down to them. They provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. Do you, do you see what happened? They, it, it starts out, it says here in verse 11, they serve Baals. And that word serve means to work, to toil, to cultivate, to cultivate, to labor. They were working on their relationship with false gods. They were working on it. They were laboring. They were cultivating. And as they did that, they forsook the Lord, which means to leave behind, to let go, or to abandon. So what we have is a nation of people that come into a land given, them, given to them miraculously by God. They, the warning has been laid down ahead of time. Don't get mixed up with the people of the land. Wipe them out. Get them out. If you get mixed up, if you fail to drive them out, they're going to be the very, the very thorn in your side that's going to cause you to fall away from me. God's made it very, very clear. And we see that unfolding. As they begin to work, and what does it mean when they served other gods? It means to toil, to work. As they begin to literally work on their relationship with these false gods, well, you can't serve both. They began to abandon or forsake the Lord God, Yahweh, Jehovah God. They, they, they began to forsake Him. But they were literally putting forth effort into the false gods. We can find ourselves doing the same thing. We can find ourselves putting forth effort into false gods in our life. You see, we don't call them false gods. They have other names, like maybe your hobbies, right? Can't my, could my hobby be a false god? Sure it could be. If I'm spending so much time working on a hobby, well, I can't go to church Sunday morning or Thursday night or prayer meeting or things like that. Why? Because I've got I've to I've go fishing or whatever my hobby is. I think that we always need to be taking an account of what's, what it is that's driving us in our life. 
What is it, what is it that's motivating me? What is it that I'm, where's, and, and you can find that out by, where do you spend your time? Where do I spend my time? Where do I spend my money? Where am I, where am I, where, where am I at most of the time? And it'll tell you what's, what's motivating you, what's driving you. Because I don't think the Israelites, I don't think they set out. I don't think they got up one morning and said, you know, I've had enough of this Jehovah God. I know what he did for our ancestors. I know about all that stuff. But I think I'm just going to go try this God. I'm going to go try this God. That's not what happened. What happened was is they intermixed with the very people they should have driven out. They looked over the fence at their neighbor's house. said, oh, what are they doing over there? The neighbor said, come on over. It's fun. Come on over. And they came over. What are you doing? Oh, we're just, we're hanging out. We're watching the game. I mean, worshiping Baal. You know, whatever it is they're doing. And then they find themselves hanging out more and more and more. And as they begin to do that, I don't think people walk away from God all at once. I think it's a, it's a slow leak. It's a slow fade. It's a, it's, a, it's a gradual thing that takes place. You see that in your very own life, right? What happens if you miss devotions? What happens if you miss church a couple times? What happens if you haven't been in the Word or you haven't you know, been around Christians? You find, and you, you find yourself start to fall away from the Lord rather quickly, don't you? I do. I know that I do. One of the things I hate about vacation is I get out of my routine. I have a routine at home, but when I get on vacation, it, the routine doesn't play out the same. I was talking to Rebecca tonight, and she said, I can't wait to get home. And I said, why? I just wanted to hear why, you know. And she said, well, one of the things I miss is our, our, our family Bible study time because we don't do it on vacation usually. We're usually going in too many different directions, and there's, there's, it's just one, you know, how do you wake up in Disney World and say, all right, kids, we're going to have Bible study, you know. It doesn't, it doesn't work, you know. You can try it. We've tried it, but it doesn't work that way. So you, you do it on your own, but it's the family doesn't come together for that. And, and that affects the, my relationship with the Lord. I'm sure it affects yours too, if you miss that time with the Lord. You know, so it's, it happens slowly. They start to fade away very, very slowly. Now look at uh, verse uh, 12. The middle half of verse 12, they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them, and they bowed down to them, which means they worshiped them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. We know that God is a jealous God. He's made that very clear. He's made it very clear. They're beginning to work, worship the Baals in the Ashtoreths. And we talked last time, Baal was the god for the weather. Baal was the god for the rain. It represented their financial, uh, their finan- their financial growth. If the rain was good and the weather was good, the crops would grow, which would bring in more money for them. And Ashtoreth was the fertility god. And fertility, that God was the, they worshipped her sexually. And that would be the animals would produce more and they would have more kids. And they had this all sense of false worship taking place and they're they're in the midst of this and they're they're forsaking jehovah god and then in verse 14 the anger of the lord was hot against israel i don't know about you but i wouldn't like to see my name there and the anger of the lord was hot against rob or jason toya put your own name there wow i i I wouldn't want that So he delivered them into the hands of plunderers who despoiled them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around so they could no longer stand before their enemies. The hand of God which provided victory for them in battle, God said, fine, if you're not going to worship me, go ahead. Go ahead. This also shows us the choice 
that mankind is making. He's given mankind a choice here. Choose this day whom you will serve. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. As they make the choice to forsake Jehovah God and begin to serve Baals and asterisks, we could say in our society, money and sex, right? It's, a, it's the same principle. It's the same thing. As mankind today would make the choice to, stop serving, to, to not serve the Lord God, they begin to serve money and sex and pleasure, and you, you can name it whatever it is that people are out there serving. What it all kind of boils down to is they're really serving, as Paul would say in the book of Romans, they're really serving the creation rather than the creator. They're really serving all the things that they can see, all the things they can do. Let's turn to Romans real quick. Because Paul lays it out perfectly what's taking place. Romans chapter 1. Chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Romans chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans. If you get to Corinthians, you went too far. Chapter 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, They did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to their uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to to dishonor their bodies, among themselves verse 25 who exchanged the truth of god for the lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever amen you see what's taking place is they're beginning to serve beginning to worship the creation you say wait a minute rob baal was baal wasn't created by god baal's baal's a a mythical god yeah but what baal represented what baal represented Baal was representing, representing the, the storms, the, the, the rain, the, the weather. The, Baal was representing the, the very thing that would cause them to, to grow. So they began to worship Baal. They gave the name Baal. They began to worship Ashtoreth, which was the fertility goddess. Where did sexual relationship come from? It was created by God. It wasn't, they, they began to, to make it something unpure and unholy. They began to worship it in this way. And then Paul would go on to say, for this reason God gave them up to their vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, with men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. And then it gives you a list of them here. And you can go on reading if you want. Turn back to Judges with me. So what we see taking place is the nation Israel is being infiltrated 
by evil because they have not been obedient to God and they have not set up the protection to keep it out, to keep the evil things of the world out. And here it is infiltrating them, and now it's affecting their very own personal relationship with God. Israel is supposed to be governed by God. You say, Rob, why are you telling all that, all that, all, us all that? Because that's exactly what's happening today. When you find somebody, we talk about somebody worshiping hobbies. Do we live in a, in a money-charged culture? Absolutely we do. Do we live in a sexually-charged culture? Absolutely we do. We're, we're living in the same, we call it different things, but we're living in the same type of culture where people are out there worshiping these created things rather than the Creator. Israel is going to find themselves here on this merry-go-round or on this hamster wheel, if you would. Look at verse 15. Whenever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity. As the Lord had said, as he, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were greatly distressed. So the Lord, now they find themselves distressed. They're restricted, they're constricted, they're tied up, they're locked up. That's what distressed means. They find themselves distressed because they've failed to be obedient. Verse 16, nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plunder them. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but they played the harlot with other gods. They bowed down to them. They turned quickly the way in which their fathers walked. They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked. And obeying the commandments of the Lord, they did not do so. So we still kind of have an overview here of what's going on. It's a sad situation for the nation Israel. It's sad. They cry out to the Lord, and the Lord says, fine, I'll rescue you. And they go right back to the way that they were. It's a horrible way to live. Let's keep reading. Verse 18, And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he delivered them out of the hand of their, out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. The Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead, they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers. By following other gods to serve them and bow down to them, they did not cease from their own doings or from their stubborn ways. The anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he said, because this nation has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers and has not heeded my voice, I also will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died, so that through them I may test Israel whether they will keep the ways of the Lord to walk in them as their fathers kept them or not. Therefore the Lord left those nations without driving them out immediately, nor did he deliver them into the hand of Joshua. So what's taking place here is their disobedience they're walking away from the Lord to serve these other gods is going to cost not only them, but it's going to cost the other generations or the future generations. Because they failed to be obedient, now the Lord says, I'm not going to drive them out. All these nations that you were supposed to have all this land, you were supposed to live peaceably, you were supposed to live peacefully, peacefully, you are supposed to enjoy all this, you're not getting it. I'm going to leave them in place. And I'm going to leave them in place for a specific reason. Look what the reason is. Verse 22. So that through them I may test Israel. Now the King James Version says to, I will, that I may prove Israel. Test Israel, prove Israel, whether they will keep the ways of the Lord to walk in them 
and their fathers, as their fathers kept them or not. Test? We don't like tests, do we? When you think of test, what do you think of? School, right? I've got to go to school and take a test, and I've got to study for a test. But what's the purpose of the test? I like the King James word there better. They call it proof. Because the test proves what's inside of you. Or the test proves what you know. If you go to school and you have a test, and you've studied for the test, and you know the material for the test, and you take the test, it's going to prove that you know the material. If you don't know the material, and you fail the test, that's going to prove that you didn't know the material. Well, you see, this is what the Lord's using. I'm going to use these people to prove to you, to the nation Israel, what's inside of them. When you're walking with me, you're going to be free and enjoy peace. When you serve other gods, you're going to be in captivity. He uses tests in your life too. Trust me, you will be tested. Many of you are being tested right now. You will be tested daily on different things. The purpose for the test is so that you can see what's inside of you, see where you're at. Now, did you ever get angry in traffic? I know we don't have a lot here, but did you ever get angry when you, like, it's just a little bit of traffic. You're like, would you guys hurry up? You start to kind of get annoyed. That proves what's inside of me, doesn't it? Now, the good thing is, as you walk with the Lord, as you grow, you can find yourself not getting angry in traffic. Or what is it that makes you angry? Is there something that, you know, there's this one little thing that just really gets under my skin. It really just bugs me, and it just, as you grow with the Lord, as you blow up, you go, wow, I just proved I need some work in that area. But as you grow with the Lord and you begin to grow spiritually and the fruit of the Spirit begins to develop in your life more and more and more, you'll look back and go, I don't do that anymore. I don't get angry like that anymore. I don't blow up like I used to. I don't, whatever it is. I'm using anger, but it could be any number of things. Where did you fail this week? Where did you fail in sin this week? Think about it. Wherever you failed, that, that's, that, that's the test. That, that proves what's inside of you. That makes you, or should make you, go back to the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me. That's where you repent. And just like the nation Israel, he's faithful to go, okay, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. It's past. Move on. But we need to grow from it. We don't need to keep doing it over and over and over again. That's the, that's, we're, we're looking at them, and if we weren't applying this to ourselves, we'd be going, like, you stupid people. Why do you keep doing the same thing over and over and over again? Well, they could look right back at us and say the exact same thing. Why do you keep doing the same thing over and over and over again? Now, in verse, or chapter 3, he says this. Now, these are the nations which the Lord left, that he might test Israel by them, that is, all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. This was only so that the generation of the children of Israel might be taught to know war, at least those who had not formerly known it. He wants them to know what it's like to be in war. Namely, five lords of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians and the Hivites who dwelt in Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal Hermon to the entrance of Hamath. And they were left that he might test Israel by them or prove Israel by them to know whether they would obey the commandments of the Lord which he had commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. Thus the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, 
And they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons and they served their gods. Do you see how it happens? I'm just a guy. I meet a girl. I like her, she likes me, but she's not from the right people group. Don't be that way. Just If, if you're in love, go for it. We take their daughters, they take our sons. Before you know it, we're intermixed. That's why most of the nation of Israel cannot even be identified anymore. It's gone. Small little Israel. All these people, they've been, they're gone. But Paul says, turn with me to 2 Corinthians 6.14. Go back to Romans, just a little more to the right. Second Corinthians six fourteen. Same thing. Paul says here clearly to the church in Corinth. He says, "Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness?" And what communion has light with darkness? Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Do you, do you know what that means? That means, that doesn't mean, it does mean in a relationship, in a, in, a, in a marriage, it does mean that. It means that if I'm a Christian man, and I'm a single man, I'm not a single man, but if I was a single man, and I find a girl who I find is attractive and we get along good and she's not a believer, Paul says, stay away from her. Stay away from her. I don't, don't, there's no, I'll jokingly call it, there's no missionary dating. You know, don't try to convert somebody. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. It applies in relationships, but it also applies in any other form of yoking. What about business? Is it okay for me as a Christian to be a businessman, to be in business with a non-Christian? No. Do not be unequally yoked. Why? Because the way that I respond, my values as a Christian are different than their values. I hold the Bible as my standard, they don't. When it, it's easy when, when things are good and everybody's making money, but the minute things get bad, the Christian man says, no, we're going to do the right thing. Or the non-Christian might say, why? Let's just worry about keeping the money flow going. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Don't, you know, and, and you know what, a, the, the picture here, you know what a yoke is, right? It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the, they used to put it across oxen. They would put it across oxen so they could pull the plow through the field. An, un, an unequally yoked oxen, you know what happened to the, you know, here's the way it would work. They would yoke two oxen together to pull a plow through a field so they could plant. Now the two oxen had to be equally yoked. And what that meant was they had to be the same size and the same strength. Do you know what would happen if they, if they oaked, yoked a strong oxen with a weak oxen? A strong ox with a weak ox. You know what happened? The strong ox would die. Strong ox would eventually die because he would pull the load for so long, he he would he'd be pulling the majority of the load. He would die. He would die. That's the same thing that would happen to a Christian that says, "I'm going to get into a into a relationship with an unbeliever." Knowingly, be careful. Be very very careful in all of those things. Business life. We don't want to be unequally yoked. Does it mean that we don't talk to unbelievers? No. Does it mean that we don't have friends that are unbelievers? No. Does it mean that I can't go to dinner with somebody who's an unbeliever? And that's not what it means at all. It means when I'm going to yoke myself, when I'm going to attach myself to somebody financially, physically, relationally, that needs to be somebody who is a believer with me. 
If not, I'm setting myself up because if I'm the stronger one, I might be the very one that's brought down. Because I might go into that relationship thinking, I'm going to lead them to Christ. And they might be leading me away from Christ. It's a warning for us. Paul says the same thing in the New Testament. Don't be unequally yoked. All right, back to Judges, chapter 3, verse 7. So the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Again, they forgot the Lord their God, and they served the Baals and the Ashtoreths. Therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of a group of people from Mesopotamia. And if you want to pronounce it, go ahead. The children of Israel served this group of people from Mesopotamia for eight years. When the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel. This is the God that we serve. You're going to turn away? Fine. I'm going to let you be taken captive by the very thing that's causing you to turn away. You're going to, be, you're going to turn away? You're going to leave the Lord your God? You're going to serve your hobby? I'm going to let you be taken captive, captive by your hobby. And you're going to realize it at some point. At some point, your light goes off for them. Oh, these people of Mesopotamia, we've been serving them. We're, we're, they're, we're their slaves. We're their servants. And then look what happens. The, verse 9, the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Lord, help me. If I was God, I would say no. You've left too many times. You need to learn a lesson. But God doesn't respond that way. If you don't think there's mercy and grace of God in this, Help us, Lord. Okay, no problem. The Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel who delivered them. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. He judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord delivered these people from Mesopotamia into his hand, and his hand prevailed over the same people. So the land had rest for 40 years. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. This is the beginning as we're going to take a look at each of the judges that are being brought up. They walk away from the Lord. They cry out to the Lord. The Lord delivers them. And then they have rest for 40 years. Don't you think that would have clicked? Let's just keep doing what we're doing. But you know what happened? The next generation is coming along. It's been 40 years. The kids are coming up. We don't want to do what our parents do. We don't want to do it the way our parents did it. We want to think for ourselves. We want to be free thinkers. We want to handle our own way. Have you noticed that our culture pays very little attention to what older people say today? Most people have no time to hear what older people say. I got to sit this week. I was at at the pastor's conference, and I got to sit under and listen to a couple of guys teach and uh, this this is a different kind of conference it's it's pretty casual it's only about 50 or 60 of us it's more of like a retreat and some of the guys that were teaching they didn't have big churches they weren't uh you might think well they're not a very good teacher there's there's other teachers that are better than them and that, and that could be true but they had faithfully walked with the lord for 30 40 years pastored a church 30 same church 30 40 years Maybe they only have 100 people. 30 or 40 years, but that's the 100 people the Lord gave them. And they made the point, I only want to serve the people that the Lord gives me. 
And I got to sit and listen to some of the things they said. And they were almost all of them exclusively saying, listen, we never bought in to the fad or to the thing of, of, of the, 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 the church growth methods. We never bought into those things. We never bought into them. We all, you know, we never bought into the, all of the things that people were doing to try and grow a church and do a certain thing. And I kind of came up with the, the common theme as I listened to several of these guys teach and share what God had put on their heart. And you might even look at them and say, well, they're not very successful. They've only have 100 people in their church and they've been doing it for 30 or 40 years. But I think it's just the opposite. I think their 100 people means they are very successful because I think there's too many people leaving ministry and not finishing ministry. You see, it's not about how we start something, it's about how we finish something. Anybody can start something, but will you finish well in what you've started? Now, certainly that applies to me as a pastor in this church, but it applies to you in your life. Will you finish your life well, or will you look for the next new thing or the next opportunity? Because as a culture, we're always looking for something new and for something different. We need to modernize it. And it was A.W. Tozer who said, if it's new, it's not true. If it's true, it's not new. When it comes to the things of God, if it's true, if it's new, it's not true. But every, if you, and if you've been around Christianity long enough, you see these books that be recycled, that are getting recycled. Some author may have wrote it 20 years ago. Now a guy puts it in a new, different way, but it's the same, same theory, same concept. I have a new way of looking at something. No, if it's new, I don't want to hear it. But back to Judges. The Lord's faithful. You say, well, wait a minute. God's, he's, not, he's not taking care of his people. I think it's just the opposite. The people are being disobedient. And again, we see that their obedience is tied directly to their blessing. 40 years of peace. 40 years of blessing. This makes me say... If I am not at peace in my life, I really have to look and say, am I being obedient? Not everything that happens to us in life is because of disobedience. But if you find yourself scratching your head going, you know, I really feel like I've, I'm, not, I'm not at peace. I'm getting angry. I'm sinning all the time. I'm, I think you should stop and say, are you, are you being obedient to the things of the Lord? Are you doing just what the nation Israel did? Say, wait a minute, Rob, maybe I'm not being. What do I do? Do just what they did. Cry out to God. Lord, forgive me. You know what he'll do? He already sent a judge. It was Jesus Christ. He'll say, you're forgiven. Now get back up and get going again. That's that's what's taking place here. Look Look at the next one. Verse 12, Ehud. And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. Forty years of peace, 40 years of land had rest for 40 years, and now verse 12, and again, They did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Do you you see the cause and effect here? You do evil in the sight of the Lord, you're going into captivity again. Verse 13, Then he gathered, this is Eglon, gathered to himself the people of Ammon and and Amalek, Amalek, went and defeated Israel and took possession of the city of Palms. That's Jerusalem. So the children of Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, 18 years. 18 years. 40 years of the land at rest, at peace. Now they're serving as slaves. Now this is interesting. 
the people they were supposed to drive out, they kept around as slaves to them so they could be lazy, and now they find themselves serving those very same people because they weren't obedient the first time. Think of those people as the sins in our life. The sins in our life that we're supposed to drive out, if we keep them around, if they're hanging on, if they're only once in a while, if they're just something I like to do, you'll find yourself in bondage and slavery to the very thing you had the power to drive out. But you didn't. That's what's, that's what's going on here. Eighteen years. Verse 15, But when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, Benjaminite, Benjamite, a left-handed man, by him the children of Israel sent tribute to Eglon, the king of Moab. Again, they're in bondage, they're in slavery, they cry out. Now, think about God. Just, just, just for a moment, let's just see. Here's the Lord. And the nation Israel, and, and like we are, there's, there's children, there's kids, there, there's, there's chosen people. And he's, they're right there, they're with him, they're serving him, and, they're, and he's blessing them like a dad wants to bless their kids. I want to bless you, yes, yes. And all of a sudden they start to go aside. They, no, 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 come back. No, no, don't, 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 don't go to your neighbor's house. Don't, don't, don't worship. The, no, come back. Come back. That test that I gave you, you're, you're proving, you're, no, you're failing. No, come back. And as they go farther and farther and farther, think of the dad's heart. Think of God's heart. As he's watching his people go farther and farther and farther away. He's, he, wants to, he wants to bring them back. He's just waiting for them to be willing to come back. And the moment they're willing, the moment they've had it, would it take you 18 years? I hope not. I hope it doesn't take you 18 years. I hope when you fall into sin, you go, i got to get back with the Lord right away. Don't go 18 days, 18 hours. Get back with the Lord. But the moment they cry out, Lord, and he says, all right, I've got a plan. Look at my plan. Verse 15, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. The Lord raised up the deliverer from them, Ehud, the son of Gera, the ben Benjamite, a left-handed man. That's going to be important later. By him, the children of Israel sent tribute to Eglon, the king of Moab. They're going to send him a gift. Now, Ehud made himself a dagger, which is a knife. It was a double-edged and a cubit in length, about 18 inches. And he fastened it under his clothes on his right thigh. So left hand, right thigh now. Why is he doing it that way? He's trying to hide it. Doesn't want him to know he's got it. Verse 17. So he brought the tribute to Eglon, the king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man. And when he had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who had carried the tribute. So he had so much, whatever he was giving them, the, the, the gifts he was giving, he had people to carry them. And he goes to the king, Eglon, who's a very fat man, which meant what? He ate a lot. That, that, even now, if you go to a foreign country and you are heavy, above, bigger than what they are, they think that's wealthy. It's a symbol of wealth because you have tons of food. We, don't, we wouldn't see it that way, would we? We look around our culture and, well, as Americans, we're all a little heavy sometimes. Not all of us, but some of us are. We all eat pretty well. Even the people that are poor eat pretty well. You know? Even the people that are on government assistance eat pretty well. You know? Here is this man. He's their king. They're bringing him gifts. The men carry the gifts, and then he sends them away. Verse uh, 
18, and when he had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who had carried the tribute, but he himself turned back from the stone images or the quarries that were at Gilgal and said, now he's saying this to the king, I have a secret message for you, O king. He said, keep silence. And all who intended him went out from him. So he tells the king, hey king, I have a secret message for you. And everybody who was around, but it's, it's secret. Nobody else can hear it. What do you think the king's going to do? Send everybody out. I want to hear the message, right? This guy's my friend. He just look at, all the, look at all the stuff he gave me. It's brilliant. I have a secret message for you. O king, keep silence. And all attended him went out from him. Verse 20. So Ehud came to him. Now he was sitting upstairs in his cool private chamber. So he's in his private room. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. So he arose from his seat. Then Ehud reached with his left hand took the dagger from his right thigh and thrust it into, the, into his belly. Even the hilt, that's the handle, even the handle went in after the blade and the fat closed over the blade for he did not draw the dagger out of his belly and his insides came out. Why is that in the Bible? Why did they have to tell us that? That just gave you a bad picture, didn't it? Like, that's disgusting. It's crazy. It just left the knife there. I mean, it's, it's terrible. But then he leaves surreptitiously. Look, verse 23, Then Ehud went out, the, out through the porch, and he shut the doors of the upper room behind him, and he locked them. When he had gone out, Eglon's servants came to look, and to their surprise, the doors of the upper room were locked. So they said, ah, he's probably attending to his needs, whatever they might be, in the cool chamber. So they waited till they were embarrassed, and, they st- and still he had not opened the doors of the upper room. Therefore, they took the key, they opened them, and there was their master fallen dead on the floor. But Ehud had escaped while they delayed and passed beyond the stone images and escaped to Sirah. And it happened when, the, when he arrived that he blew the trumpet in the mountains of Ephraim and the children of Israel went down with him from the mountains and he led them. Then he said to them, follow me, for the Lord has delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. So they went down after him, seized the fords of the Jordan leading to Moab and did not allow anyone to cross over. And at that time, they killed about 10,000 men of Moab, all stout men of valor, Not a man escaped, so Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. The nation of Israel cries out. God says, I'm going to send a deliverer or a judge. Sends Ehud, has the whole plan. We're going to give gifts to the king. I'm going to hide a dagger on my right thigh. I'm left-handed. They won't notice it goes in, stabs the king, leaves, locks the door so the people don't know that he's dead. They just figure he's in there doing whatever he's doing. Gets back to the nation Israel. The kingdom that he left behind, they're, they're, they don't know what to do. Their king's dead. How, how could one guy sneak in and, and kill their king? The Israelites who were, who were servants to these, the Moabites, are now attacking the Moabites, and the Lord delivers the Moabites into their hand, and they find themselves at peace and rest for 80 years years. Two generations that time. 
After him was Shamar the son of Anath, who killed 600 men of Philistines, 600 men of the Philistines with an ox goat, and he also delivered them. Now, here's what I want you to understand, and here's what I want you to take away. The blessings of God are tied to the obedience, to your obedience. It's directly tied. We see this over and over and over again. It's not that the Lord doesn't, it's not the Lord would look at anybody and say, I don't want to bless you. I don't, want you to, I don't want your life to be peaceful. I don't want that to happen. It's just, I want, you, I, I, I want your life to be peaceful. I want you to be blessed, but I need you to obey me. So often we think the obedience of God is going to affect us in a negative way. When God says to you or convicts your heart in some way, hey, stop doing whatever it is. You say, well, I don't know, Lord, I, I, I like that thing or it's just once in a while, or it's not a big deal. Do you know that God wants to, you to stop because it's what's best for you? I heard something that I thought, I heard something this weekend, that I, this week that I thought was pretty cool. Let me put it to you this way. You're only as close to God as you want to be. The only thing hindering you from being closer to Jesus is you. Think about that. I am only as close to God as I choose to be. Now, sometimes you'll hear people say, oh, I used to be so close with the Lord, and I used to do this. No, no, God, God hasn't moved, you have. If you say, I want to be closer to the Lord, and that's what we all say, right? I want to be closer to the Lord. Do you know that you're the only thing stopping you? It's not like he said, well, no, I don't want to have a relationship with you. Not, no, 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 not that close. No, no, back off, Rob. I don't want to be that close to you. No. He's saying, all right, stop thinking that way. Okay, change your attitude. Okay, let me come in and work in this. No, Lord, you can't come in that area of my life. All right, I want you to, listen, we're going to do this together. I'm going to help you do better at work with your attitude. No, no, I don't want that, Lord. Well, I thought you said you wanted to be closer. Well, I do, but I want to be closer my way, not your way. That's where it comes down to that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where it comes down to, I have to live on the convictions that he places on my heart. Do you know that the convictions that I have today aren't the same convictions that I had when I first got saved? And I can't hold you to the standards of my convictions. But I would encourage you individually to go before the Lord and say, Lord, what is it in my life that's keeping me from drawing closer to you? And once he tells you, once it's revealed to you, then it's time to act on it. And it might not be negative. It might just be you're not spending enough time with me. Why don't you get up in the morning and read the Bible together? Or why don't you do whatever? You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, that's between you and him. That's what makes the relationship personal. But the only thing keeping you from getting closer to God is you. I wrote this in the front of my Bible. I have as much of Jesus as I want. I have as much of Jesus in my life as I want. As much as I'll allow. You, t- you have the same thing. I have a few things. That's one of my... I also have in the front of my Bible, this book will keep me from sin, but sin will keep me from this book. But I have as much of Jesus as I want. You do too. If you want more, it's going to come through obedience. It's the only way. Father, we thank you that you've given us your word. Even the Israelites, Lord, as we study and we look at them, Lord, I can see so much of myself in them. Lord, I, I, I might not be gone for 40 years, but I see myself 
Lord, would you forgive us for that? And Lord, would you show us? Each one of us, Lord, as we, as we seek you, as we look and we examine our life and allow your spirit to, to search us, what is it that's keeping us from having more of you? And Lord, may we deal with that thing. May we respond in obedience as your Holy Spirit ministers to us. As your word reveals things about us. Maybe we're just like the Israelites. We keep being enslaved by our sin, crying out, being forgiven, being freed, then going right back to it again. Lord, may tonight be the night that we stop. Forever. Maybe it's our attitude. Maybe it's our emotions. Or whatever it is that seems to run wild. Maybe we just let our emotions and our, we, we worry. Maybe it's anxiety. Whatever it is that drags us away from you and puts us causes us to live in our own strength. Lord, may you show us that. May we be people that, that want to hear from you, that open up our heart. Speak to us, Lord. May we be people that are pleasing to you, Lord. May we be obedient people. In Jesus' name, amen.